Hello, my friends, and welcome again to the DDP. I'm Paul. It's the 14th day of July, and I want to thank you for joining me in our study in the Gospel of Mark. I want to begin today by wishing a very happy birthday to my youngest child, my wonderful and amazing Lauren. She turns 19 years old today, and I could not be prouder, more excited for her future. Uh, just the, the woman that she is becoming, I'm so, so thankful to our father for the journey that he has her on and how his hand is on her life. Her mother and I uh, consider her the, the, the great pride of our lives, just watching her navigate the world and become who she is in the Father. I've watched her grow so much in the things of the Lord the last several years, and she is now, for those wondering, she, is, uh, she works at a local daycare in the summer. That's a new job for her. Uh, she loves it and is having a great time, and she is enrolled in the University of North Georgia. She'll be a sophomore in the fall, and so she, it, she took a summer class as well, so she hasn't really stopped on the schooling, um, and so she is uh, doing great. I want to wish her a happy birthday. I like to do this for both of my kids, even though neither of my kids regularly listen to the DDP. I like to tell myself they occasionally do, but I think that's just dad telling himself that. Um, Lucas is 23, Lauren is 19, and uh, we are entering a new phase of our lives, that's for sure. So happy birthday to Lauren, and may her day be wonderful. Mark chapter 13 is where we are in our journey through the gospel of Mark, and we've arrived at the third verse. Jesus foretold the destruction of the temple in the first couple of verses of this little apocalypse, and now, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, which you can sit on the Mount of Olives and look straight across at the temple mount, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Now, before we answer this, there's a little bit of a difference here in the way Mark words this and the way Matthew words this. In the Matthew version of the story, which is the more famous, complete, sort of elongated version, both of the question and of the answer, in that version, the disciples came to him privately. Matthew, written later than Mark, almost certainly, doesn't bother to tell that it's Peter, James, John, and Andrew. He just says the disciples. What do we do with that? Well, it's difficult to say. Maybe in Mark's version, he's being a little more specific about the disciples that come. But by the time Matthew writes it, his determination that is that it didn't matter as much, you know, to name off who who is there. Here's something that is interesting. Matthew's version has the disciples, which means they're all there. We have yet to have the, the quote-unquote Last Supper. We've yet to have the revelation that there's one of, of the one who will betray him, which tells us Judas is sitting there as well. And so this speech, this prophecy that Jesus is about to give, I don't know this for sure, this is speculation, but I wonder if this Olivet Discourse is the final sort of convincing factor for someone like Judas that it's time to put Jesus in front of the religious authorities. My personal feeling is that Judas, and we'll get to this as we get to the Judas story, but is that Judas 
really wants to see Jesus have a sit down with the leaders of Israel. There's an indication in the way he approaches Jesus in the garden that he wants a position in this future kingdom that Jesus is going to unveil. He just, I think Judas is trying to get Jesus there the way that he thinks Jesus ought to get there. I wonder if the Olivet Discourse began to convince him he needed to do that because the way Jesus talks about the kingdom coming in this chapter cannot look like Judas had hoped it would look. And because we don't have Jesus in this speech taking up arms and building an army and he never mentions overthrowing Caesar and this sounds far too much like a spiritual overthrow and they're looking for a national overthrow. And it just makes me wonder if he hears this and thinks, okay, we got to do something. Um, The question that they ask in Mark sounds kind of twofold. When will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? That's verse 4. Listen to how it's asked in Matthew. Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, I think Matthew, even though there's only two question marks, because we're putting those in in the English, they're not there in the Greek, I think there's three distinct questions that are asked in the Matthew version of the story. When is this going to happen? Because Jesus just said, the house is going to be left desolate, not one stone's going to be left unturned. So they go, when? What is the sign of your coming and the end of the age. So you could either say they're saying, what's the sign of the coming and the end of the age together? Or what's the sign of your coming and what and when is the end of the age? I like to deal with them in three distinct versions, three distinct questions when we deal with Matthew 24. But for purposes of Mark 13, again, I reference you to our finished work eschatology vlogs. I think we even aired the audio of those on the DDP a few years ago. We're not going to do that again, but... Uh, most of you kind of know where we stand on that. So we're going to deal with Mark's version. When will these things be? What will be the sign of all these things that are about to be accomplished? In other words, when's it going to happen? And how are we going to know it's about to happen? This is all they care about. When and how do we know it's going to happen? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no man leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And you can walk through all of the various people. In fact, the book of Acts talks repeatedly about those who had led uprisings. And this is one of the arguments the Jewish leaders give whenever the crowds, whenever some of the Jewish leaders want to to imprison Peter and James and John, and some of the wiser leaders say, well, we just leave it alone for a while because remember, we've had these people rise up that thought they were something and they always go nowhere. And if these guys are those guys, this will go nowhere. But if they're from God, you're not going to be able to stop it anyway. And the reason for that is because there had been so many who raised up. Like for instance, Bar Kokhba in AD 130. Now, this is after the fall of Jerusalem, but this is just an example of the kind of people who raise up, led a Jewish rebellion against the Romans, um, accepted by his followers as the Messiah. He's one of many. Again, reference our finished work eschatology vlogs. And I want to give you a book, by the way, that you could order and read. John Bray 
Matthew 24 fulfilled the best work I've seen on a verse-by-verse breakdown. And I'll use the word exhaustive in his referencing. So probably the best research book I've seen on that topic as well. So basically Jesus says, watch out. People are going to try to lead you astray. Many are going to say, I'm he. We're going to pick this up here and introduce the sermon for the weekend on tomorrow's podcast. See you then. God bless.